Welcome to The Real Deal with Jason Silverman, the podcast dedicated to helping you build the business of your dreams and live the life you always hoped for, with valuable and fun tips and info to make your life easier and more fun. And now, here's your host, a man who sprinkles metal shavings on his breakfast cereal just for fun, Jason Silverman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Real Deal with Jason Silverman. I'm your host, Jason Silverman, and I'm thrilled to share some time again with you today. I'm really quite excited about today's show. You know, I feel totally blessed that I get to speak with such smart entrepreneurs and amazing human beings on such a regular basis. Life is great. Now, I'm confident that today's show will educate and motivate you to achieve even greater success than you've already found. Sound cool? My guess is the real deal on so many levels, as you'll immediately see once this conversation gets rolling. Now, I'm always on the hunt for superstar real deal guests who can share some success secrets with you that you can implement immediately, as in today. Today's guest is, plainly put, a fantastic person, and I'm excited to pick his brain a bit today so that you can benefit from his experience and his expertise. Now, for the folks who I work with in any of my coaching programs, mastermind groups, or through Powerful Words Character Development, All-Star Cheer Sites, or Dance Sites Done Right, you know how much I focus on finding your why and being passionate about your work, right? Well, hopefully this show is going to help you to do just that. So, today is going to be my honor and privilege to share an amazing resource with you. You're going to love today's guest. He's got a ton of valuable info to help you succeed, as well as a fun way to deliver it. So... I want you to strap yourself in. Today's show is going to be awesome. As I'm sure you already know, I'm committed to helping business owners just like you to become more successful, enjoy your career more, and in general, make your life significantly and dramatically more fun. Because as we all know, folks, we only go around one time. Let's make sure it's one hell of a ride. All right, boys and girls, it is now that time to stop surfing Facebook. Put away your phone, your tablet, your child, your dog, your cat, your spouse, anything else that might possibly distract you from today's show. You're about to get some great and immediately implementable information, and I don't want you to miss even a second of it. So before we officially get going, I want to give you a little bit of background about our guest today. Dan Miller is the author of 48 Days to the Work You Love. So Dan is the author of the New York Times best-selling 48 Days to the Work You Love, No More Dreaded Mondays, and Wisdom Meets Passion. He's been a guest on the CBS Early Show, MSNBC's Hardball with Chris Matthews, Moody Midday Connection, and the Dave Ramsey Show. Dan has spoken at the White House Christian Fellowship and is in high demand at national conferences on changes in the workplace and at universities and business conferences. Over 130,000 people have subscribed to his weekly newsletter. His 48 Days podcast consistently ranks in the top three under careers in iTunes. And the 48days.net business community is viewed as an example around the world for those seeking to find or create work they love. Sounds pretty darn awesome to me. Dan, welcome to The Real Deal. I'm thrilled to have you today. Well, thanks, Jason. I'm delighted to be your guest. Spectacular. Now, Dan, before we get started, you know, for those who haven't yet had the opportunity and pleasure of meeting you or hearing you speak or reading your book, which you guys must do, um, take a second, if you would, share your story with our listeners. You know, what are you passionate about? What makes you tick? Who is Dan Miller? <laughs> well, that's a great start because I can sure go with that. I grew up on a farm, so I was a farm kid. My dad was bivocational. He pastored a little tiny church and got no income from that, but eked out a living farming just to keep food on the table. So I grew up in that environment, 
I'm believing that my, I was headed to work on the farm as well. And that was what was expected of me. But uh, somewhere in that environment, I got a hold of a little audio recording called The Strangest Secret by Earl Nightingale. And here's this old gravelly voice man talking about we become what we think about. And I thought, is there really opportunity for me to be more, do more, have more, go more than what I saw as my future there just by changing what I allowed into my mind? And it became a really foundational principle for me that continues to serve me well today. But I started reading and talking to people and then went on to college and graduate school and the kind of things to broaden my opportunities. And that's really worked well. But along the way, you know, I got multiple degrees in psychology, but didn't have any desire to be in traditional psychology or counseling. It moves much too slowly for me. So at this point, I'm a, I'm a coach. But along the way, I mean, I'm also an entrepreneur, so I... Had multiple businesses, some good, some disasters, but <laughs> learning all along the way. And so for the last 20 years, I mean, those things kind of came together. And for the last 20 years now, I've been privileged to be in this space that we call author, speaker, coach, helping people figure out, you know, how are they uniquely gifted? What are their strongest areas of competence? And then how to translate those into daily work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable, I might add. A lot of people think if I do what I really want to do, I'm going to have to live to learn on learn to live on beans and rice. No, it works exactly the opposite. Find your sweet spot, and money will show up in unexpected ways. I love it. I love it. I want I want to dive right in. Um, you know, to me, the, the first most obvious question that I need to ask you, um, and hopefully you have a, a perfect answer for this, is, you know, what have you found to be the recipe for finding work that you love? Eighty-five percent of the process, Jason, comes from looking inward. A lot of people are chasing something out here. They're looking for the get-rich-quick thing and are going to be disappointed. Eighty-five percent, slow down, take a deep breath, look inward at what you already know about yourself. What are those unique skills that you have, things that you do perhaps better than anybody else? What's your personality traits? How do you relate to other people? What kind of environment you're most comfortable in? And the third area is what I call values, dreams, and passions. And what are those things that you're drawn to, even if money is not an issue? But in looking at yourself in that way, you start to see clear patterns emerge. And from those, we can then define, aha, this is the kind of work that would embrace all of those and bring those together. So it's, it's not as magical or elusive as you might think. You don't have to just get lucky. It is a very strategic process of looking at what's very obvious already and then creating a clear plan of action. But a lot of people never allow themselves to do that. They're always just looking for an external solution. Who's hiring? Where can I get a dollar an hour raise? And they spend their entire lives just chasing that paycheck only to discover at 65 they never really lived an authentic life. It's huh. a fabulous answer. Um, can you diagnose the problems and the challenges of why people end up in occupation versus vocations and the reason why they stay there? Well, unfortunately, we, we have an educational system that doesn't do a whole lot to help people find an authentic path. We have an educational system set up to create average students that know how to respond to tests well to lead them to jobs and cubicles. Now, I've generalized broadly there, obviously, but we see that happen a lot. So I actually work a lot with people who are in their mid-40s or 50s who are saying, yeah, I'm a dentist, I'm an attorney, I'm a doctor, I'm a pastor, but, you know, and everybody sees me as successful, but 
I hate the life I've created for myself. And we discover that they're living somebody else's dream. They're living out somebody else's expectations. And so we do a lot of realignment to people, no matter where they are in the age continuum, but there has to be that sense of authentic fit. And if that means growing dandelions or, or carving in wood, you know, where I know people are being successful even in odd things like that, then do that with excellence rather than trying to be good in something that doesn't fit you. But people get caught up in that. Well, I've got to get a job. Gee, I, gee, I love art. I love music. But I've got to do something practical and realistic. So they get a job where they think they're being responsible and they bury the very best that they have to offer the world. Wow. Wow. Well, I guess the, the natural the natural follow-up to that is, you know, you know, is there a way to make the transition from a job that you hate to a career that you can, I guess you'd call it, play in and get paid for? There really is. It's not that mystical to be able to do that. Now, a lot of people get to the yes, but real quickly. Yes, but. You know, gee, they provide insurance for me. I get a paycheck every Friday. How am I going to step away from that and have any kind of security? But the real irony is a lot of people are in the kind of position where they get a paycheck every Friday. They have zero security. They just have the illusion of security. I mean, I spoke to the execs down, just down the road from me here when they closed the Saturn plant, a General Motors manufacturing plant. Well, everybody was convinced it'll never happen. It's too big to fail. Somebody will step in and save it. Well, it didn't happen. They closed the doors. And I talked to those people, and they were like, you know, what, are our, what else could we possibly do? I mean, you've got to be kidding me. This is such a microcosm of what the possibilities are. You got to look inside, figure out what it is you do exceptionally well. There are tons of opportunities to apply that in new ways. And that is true, Jason, for people who have had professional training as well. So if somebody is an attorney or a physician or a dentist, they're not trapped in that. We can look at transferable areas of competence and move them into new things that may seem surprising or may seem like a really restart to other observers, and yet we're still putting them on an authentic path that usually validates a lot of what they've already done. Hmm. Well, I guess a tangential question then is going to be, you know, how could a person, you know, reinvent themselves, stay in their current job, you know, like for those who aren't willing to call it jump off the cliff, you know, is there a way for them to really um, find themselves born again in that current job? Many times there is, and that's a very reasonable question to look at it in that way. I mean, if somebody is a teacher, do they have to just walk away from that because they hate the confrontational classrooms of today? No, not at all. They don't have to walk away, but they may be involved with a homeschooling group. They may tutor. They may teach at a parochial program or something that's much more you know, uh, kind of uh, exclusive. There are a lot of ways to take the skills that somebody has and redirect them gently within the same profession or industry. It doesn't always mean we just burn the bridges and go in a totally different direction. Not at all. I mean, there's usually a lot of good reason for somebody having pursued something, even if they're frustrated in what they're doing. But if we take something that's a very common occupation like nurse, I mean, we know that where you live and certainly where I live, there's thousands of opportunities to be a nurse. Under that one umbrella of career title, there are thousands of different ways that that is applied, thousands of different kind of corporate cultures, environments. So it's not 
one size fits all. It's not black and white. So a lot of times we can move that person within the same industry and often within the same company. A lot of times what happens in a company is a person is rewarded for excellent performance by being moved into something where they have no competence at all. <laughs> That's an unfortunate thing. We do that a lot. We see that in a lot of industries. You know, we reward the little teller because she's really great with customers and make her a branch manager where now she, her job is on the line if she's not out knocking on doors generating commercial accounts, which takes her totally out of her area of competence and comfort zone. So we see that a lot. So there are opportunities to move within an organization because of the variety of duties required almost always if somebody wants to look first at that. That makes a lot of sense. It really, really does. You know, this is this is actually going to be, I, th I think, really telling. Are you able to name some of the biggest obstacles as to why people, you know, don't wind up finding the work they love? Yeah, fear looms large. Hmm. Just fear of the unknown. No matter how miserable it is, there's something comfortable about predictability. Now that we we could spend a whole lot of time parked there, Jason, but we see that a lot, where people know they're uncomfortable, they're frustrated, they're discouraged with what they're doing, but the idea of even doing a job search for another kind of job, let alone the possibility of doing something more creative and non-traditional, is really intimidating. So they get trapped in what I call comfortable misery. They know they're miserable, but at least it's predictable. They know what's going to happen, and they just grin and bear it and think, well, only 13 more years and I'll get that retirement check. I mean, what a horrible, horrible way to spend uh, the biggest part of our time as we do you know, in work that is not really fulfilling. So fear traps people, just fear of the unknown. The idea of risk traps people. But we need to reshape what risk really means. I mean, risk, by definition, means you don't have any control. So if you and I go to Las Vegas and we put the deeds to our houses down on a roll of the dice, that's risky. That's not what business people do. I mean, yeah, we have no control over that. It's just luck of the draw, so to speak. But if we create a careful plan, if we look at what it is we do well, and we map out a plan of action and walk into that, that has more security, more potential to give us security and success than just hoping that we get another paycheck next week. Brilliant. And that's, that's been borne out. There's some really amazing studies out there. I mean, people like Dr. Tam Thomas Stanley in The Millionaire Mind I mean, looked at that very thing. But the common person on the street thinks that going to a job and getting a paycheck every week is secure, whereas if I go down here to downtown Nashville, Tennessee, where I live with a little hot dog stand, and I'm going to have 276 people come by every day with a hot dog stand and purchase something, they think that's very risky. People who end up extremely wealthy see it as exactly the reverse. They see going to a job where you have the potential that one person put you on a street tomorrow as extremely risky, whereas if you like hot dogs and you have a little hot dog stand, you have to have 276 people decide they don't want to do business with you anymore to put you out of business. You have tons of security in that kind of margin. Exactly. Different mindset. Very different, but very powerful. Very, very powerful. Now, a successful life obviously has a broader theme than just work. So, you know, how do you define a successful whole life um, that speaks to your greater philosophy? 
Well, you, you mentioned in the introduction that I one of the books, books I've written is 48 Days to the Work You Love. And in there, I look at seven different areas of life. Yeah, just being successful at work or even financially is not enough. We can name names that won't, but there's a lot of people who have knocked it out of the park financially. And we went on to trade places with them because of the trail of pain they've left behind physically and personal relationships in their communities, things like that. So, you know, success is much broader than just getting a big paycheck or having a nice job or business. You have to be making deposits of success in what you're doing physically, personal development, socially, in those relationships of those closest to you, spiritually. I mean, there's a lot of areas of life where we want to be nurturing those and being successful. Work really is just one small tool for success in our lives. And as much as I talk about the importance of it and certainly believe in the importance of it, it's still just one tool. It's not the defining characteristic of a successful life. Hmm. Love that. So, I mean, you're, you're spot on in that. I mean, we've clearly seen whether they're, they're uh, rock stars or, you know, actors or whoever, or professional athletes who have, you know, absolutely crushed it financially that you wouldn't change places with them for all the money in the world. So that, uh, that's a great point. You know, many people obviously don't know where to start to find their purpose. And obviously purpose is going to be a major component here, you know, nor do they understand how to use that purpose through their work. So are there some simple steps that folks can use to get the ball rolling? You know, when you, when you define it or when you call it finding their purpose, I mean, that is a fairly broad concept. I mean, I love the word, but it, it brings to mind other people may uh, frame that as calling, mission, destiny. Those are all words that kind of fall in that same category. There's certainly a lot that's been written out there about that in the last few years. I mean, we've really given a lot of lip service to having a, a, a personal mission statement. You know, what is your purpose? We know that any good organization is going to have that. So if it's McDonald's, Boeing, or Microsoft, or whatever, they have a mission statement so that every activity in that organization ought to reflect back on and embrace the mission statement. We can do that as individuals. A lot of people haven't done that, and so there's really no filter by which to make decisions. So, gee, here's a new job opportunity. Well, yeah, it pays a little more. Why wouldn't I take that? Without a purpose statement, without having clarity and purpose, you really don't have any benchmark for how to make that decision. Now, what I like to do is distinguish between purpose, and we could call that vocation, calling, destiny, mission, those kind of... But let's just say purpose. We'll use your term there. So there's a difference between purpose, career, and job. Now, job is the smallest component. That's just what we do daily to create income. Yeah, it ought to it fit with who we are, and it ought to embrace our purpose. Career is a broader thing. Well, let's say it's part of your purpose... You really wanted to help reduce pain and suffering in the world. That would be a legitimate part of that. And you ought to be able to sense that just because of the repetitive occurrences in your own life. That's how we define purpose. It ought to just come to light where you know you're in the zone. You know that this is what you were born to do. That's, that's the kind of process by which we all define our purpose. Knowing that, if that would be part of it, you want to help reduce pain and suffering in the world. Then we go to career as a subset. Well, as a career, to fully embrace that, you could be a physician, a massage therapist, a sports trainer, biochemist, pathologist, pastor, missionary, teacher, politician, 
there are a lot of careers that would fully embrace that. Job is the smallest component. But we usually get those reversed in terms of how we prioritize them. People get so micro-focused on the job that it becomes consuming. It's all important. And consequently, if something happens to the job by circumstances of their own choosing, then they're devastated. They feel like they're, they have no roots, no anchor. They don't know where to go. They feel like they're starting over. That should never be true. Changing a job or changing a business should never change your purpose. But that's where you have to start. Define your purpose and build from there. Makes a lot of sense, actually. I don't, I don't know that I've ever heard it defined like that so clearly. So thank you for doing that. Oh, thank you. If you would, speak to the person who right now is stuck in a bureaucracy and is dying to start their own business. You know, are there keys to becoming your own boss? Uh, and you know, why should people even consider this in today's world? My basic feeling is that if somebody has a potential to start their own business and they don't, they're going to regret it. Now, do I think that everybody ought to be some raving entrepreneur? Not at all. There are a lot of people for whom the best choice is going to be a traditional job. But what I encourage people to do, especially in times of transition, is to recognize the broad continuum of possibilities that we have in work models. Having a traditional job is only one. We can come along that continuum and look at consultant, contingency worker, independent contractor, entrepreneur, uh, freelancer, self-employed, electronic immigrant. We had all kinds of terms that are defining legitimate work models. And we're rapidly approaching the time when only 50% of the American workforce will be employees. The rest are going to be all those other terms that I just described. So it's, it's not a, some jumping off the cliff where you have to be you know, Donald Trump you know, or Mark Cuban in order to survive as an entrepreneur. Not at all. You may be a bookkeeper or graphic designer and simply decide that you're going to have a, just a real soft transition to where instead of having one customer, which is by definition what having a job would be, to having five or eight or ten or fifteen customers. That's all it is. You can continue doing the same thing. So it's not some dramatic thing, especially in today's environment, Jason, where most of us are involved in knowledge work, not production work. If you're working on the line at General Motors, you go home at night, you leave the means of production there at their facility. Most of us today with the kind of work that we're involved in are knowledge workers. We go home at night, we take the means of production home with us because it's between our own two ears. That gives us maximum flexibility and it softens these transitions. And what that means also is somebody can start something on the side, their own little business, without jeopardizing what they're doing currently. There are a lot of things where if you invest four or five hours a week, you can start something that generates real viable income. You may want to wait till it's generating 50% of your current income to make that transition, which softens that move even more. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, uh, that's actually great advice. I, mean, I remember when I, I went from, you know, <laughs> again, it was still entrepreneurial. Um, I already owned one business and I was looking to transition into another. Um, but I didn't feel comfortable doing that until, you know, I knew that, you know, my mortgage was taken care of and, and, and all those important things that I wanted to hold on to. So that's, uh, that's great advice. You know, I've, I've started multiple businesses. I love the process, but I've always had not, a, not a backup plan, not a safety net in essence, but I also have started things where I didn't want to put the pressure on a business unrealistically right out of the gate. 
So there are things that I know I can use to generate the income that we need as a family, like you know, flipping a few cars or doing some remodeling or painting houses or doing landscaping. So I've got a lot of skills I learned back on the farm that I can bring with me that I know I can put legs on immediately to generate income. Our family's never going to go hungry. I can do those as I build the real business that I'm moving into. Makes sense. Makes sense. You know, what do you feel should be included in somebody's life plan? You know, I, I think this is this is going to be really important for so many folks. You know, I, I've heard it said many times that people spend more time planning their vacations and their weekends than they do planning their life. Yeah, they do. I mean, it just never ceases to amaze me. I know that when somebody is 18 years old, it's a tough time to really decide what you're going to do for the next 40 years. But we force kids to do that. I asked a young kid recently how he happened to choose his college major, which was criminal justice. He said, well, we were in the first day of college, and we were in this great big room, and they said, if you're going into accounting, follow this lady. If you're going into biology, follow this lady. He said they were going down alphabetically. I had no clue. I closed my eyes, pointed my finger, opened my eyes. I'm in criminal justice. Uh, yeah, that, that's not an uncommon way that people choose something that's going to define how they spend the majority of their time the rest of their life. Now, fortunately, we know that 80% of college graduates, 10 years after graduation, are working in something totally unrelated to their college major. That's okay. That's not a negative. I mean, college is just a way to in, kind of prove our self-discipline. It should never force us into a career path from which there's no escape. We're too young to be able to ask the right questions at that point. So this is a continuing journey. It continues to unfold where we have more and more information about how to make good career decisions. It's not a one-time thing. So people ought to give themselves the liberty to recognize this is a process. I often have parents call me, oh man, my son just graduated from college, he still doesn't know what he wants to be, gee, my daughter's been out of school for two years, she's had five different jobs, you know, will you help him? I said, sure, why don't you have him call me in ten years? Because <laughs> those initial years of working a variety of things serve a wonderful benefit of clarification. It's not a challenge to find the one right thing you're going to do. The variety of things is powerful in helping in the clarification. So I think we ought to give young people more freedom to do exactly that. And we're seeing that more and more. I mean, we're seeing you know kids who don't get married until they're in their 30s, and they've done a variety of things. You know, gee, they sleep on a friend's couch for a month because they don't really care about having a mortgage or buying a car in the driveway. They're just experimenting, and that's a healthy process. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. All right. Well, I want to I want to talk about this for a second. You know, do you believe the people who just go to work um, are trading their time and energy for money, and the people that go to their vocations are trading their talent and passion for purpose, and money follows? Well, those in general, yes, but I don't want to just categorically take a broad swipe and say that people who get paid for their time are just you know, somehow compromising. There, there are people who do that and do it admirably. I took my granddaughter to Taco Bell today, and there's a young man there who I've watched since the day he was hired. I observed his being hired, actually, because he walked in off the street and was hired four minutes later. And I thought, you got to be kidding me. But I've been tracking him since then. He's been there about six months. He's moved up twice in terms of management and income. 
I think that's a great path for him to be on. I'm not going to talk to him and tell him, you need to go out and start your own landscaping business. He needs the experience of what he's doing, working in a structured environment, to learn some things before he's going to really be prepared well. So there's value in doing that for a lot of people. But when I work with people and we really start to look at what is authentically you and what's this going to look like in work, we don't often find a solution on a list out of the Dictionary of Occupational Titles. That's way too confining. You know, I have, we just put up on our property here a beautifully sculpted bronze eagle. The wingspan's about 40 inches across. It's a beautiful eagle. Now, the gentleman who did that, there is no place you're going to go to school, go to college, and in your second year of college, you meet with a guidance counselor, and he says, hey, you ought to be a sculptor. It's just not going to happen. They're going to see that as way too risky, off the beaten path. You can't do that. You've got to do something practical like computer programming. And we miss the very best that sometimes these kids have to offer. Now, fortunately with him, he found that path on his own. And it's been affirmed over and over and over again. His work is just breathtaking. But we almost miss it with a lot of people where we don't allow them to experiment in those areas where we think it's somehow not practical or realistic. And that's where you know, we see so many people who are waking up to the things that they really wanted to do when they were children and all of a sudden they're 50 or 55 years old. In the last couple of years, all the people that have been laid off for many of them, it was simply a wake-up call to bring to life something that's been dormant for years and years and years. Somehow gets swept under the carpet in the realities of life. Hmm. I guess that does put a silver lining into uh, into the pink slip. Oh, I, I, all the stories we've got there. I mean, the knee-jerk reaction is always, oh my gosh, we've got to take kids out of private school. We've got to quit sending them to Jason's program. You know, we're going to go on vacation this year. We're going to pull back in or turn the car back in, the lease program. And I think, why would you think less? Why would you instantly assume less with the change, even if the change is unwelcome and unexpected? And a lot of times those people 18 months later say, oh my gosh, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. It released me to do what my heart was calling me to, and the results have been unbelievable in terms of what it's providing. <laughs> would, you, would you speak to some of the myths to finding the work you love that you write about in No More Mondays? Because there's some, there's some really interesting pieces here. Well, you know, there's a whole lot of things that we get caught up in that we just assume to be true. The things like, if I'm interested in art or creative things, you know, I can't make a living doing that. We're seeing a real pendulum swing back to uh, the embracing of right brain skills. I mean, for years we've taught that left brain skills, those analytical things, detailed things, you know, financial analysis, computer science, those are the things where you get security. Well, you know what? Those are the easiest things to outsource to somebody who lives on the other side of the world, where they can be doing the work at half the price when we're asleep at night. But the right brain skills, empathy, caring, relationship, art, connection, those kind of things, those kind of things will give you security like people have never experienced in their work before because you can't outsource that. I mean, even the kind of things, I mean, we've got some people working on our property right now, some guys that are doing some dramatic landscaping. Well, I can't outsource that to India or China or Taiwan. I have to have somebody right here where I live that has that kind of ability. They have amazing security in those kind of positions. 
Hmm. That's interesting. Very true. I mean, we've seen the the world getting smaller and smaller through you know sites like Elance and all those freelancing sites where people are able to to find folks to do things for them that you know they haven't wanted to do or choose not to do. So that's that's spectacular. You use the term a lot, uh, revolutionary thinking. Um, would you mind you know sharing you know what is it? Why is it important? Um, you use it a lot, and I think that uh, I think it's probably pretty relevant for everybody listening right now. I really like the term. I mean, revolutionary implies somebody that is going to change things. They're going to kind of break the status quo. So I love that. Also, I like the idea of revolving because we've seen that in the work models in the United States, certainly, and around the world. But, you know, the United States was not started with these big monolithic companies where we have, you know, 18-story high-rises when we have essentially a human filing cabinet you know, where people go up the elevator and walk into their little cubicle for the day. I mean, that's a very artificial work environment. And because we have seen in the last few years the dismantling of so many of those big companies, and I'm not saying that, you know, yay, yay, but it's forced the revival of the kind of mom-and-pop businesses that made our country great initially. And I think that's a healthy thing. So when I say revolutionary, I'm not meaning subversive or terrorist or anything like that. I'm saying see things that other people don't see. I mean, I, a lot of my success has come from simply helping people see things that are right in front of their face, but they just don't have it in their awareness. There's a, a term that's called reticular activator, and uh, Jason, you're probably familiar with it, but it works like this. You know, If you go out this afternoon and you buy Robin a Volvo 850 Turbo Red, mm-hmm. tomorrow you're going to see about six of those right around where you live. Workhorse <laughs> sedan, Volvo, turbos, red. And you think, geez, did everybody go out yesterday and buy one? No. They were there all along. It just was not in your awareness, even though it's a physical object that you should have been able to see. It just was not in your awareness. Well, there's a whole lot of things like that. And a lot of what I do is just help, help people have their idea antenna up, so to speak, so they see things in new ways and recognize the opportunities that are all around us. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. All right, it is time for our resource of the week. So, Dan, tell me this. What kind of new projects are you working on? What kind of new books, your life coaching? How can people find out more about you? Well, thanks. My gosh, I've got so many new projects going on. I told my wife recently, I said, people assume that we ought to be slowing down. But I said, you better hang on because we're in the busiest year of my life. (laughs) And that's true because there's so many fun things to do. Now, speaking of 48 Days for the Work You Love, that came out in 2005, so it's been out a while. I did an update in 2010, but I'm doing a major revision that will be released in January of 2015. As we're recording this, Jason, that manuscript is due tomorrow. Wow. So it's crunch time. That's been a major project. I'm thrilled about where I am. I can't wait to get the new version out. I've also got another book that I'm working on with my publisher. The working title is Sealed with a Handshake, and it has to do with why businesses are really successful. And it's not fancy social media or technology. It's still the basic foundational principles, integrity, honesty, relationships, those kind of things. I also started a new mastermind a couple months ago that has just been phenomenal. I do a lot of things based around 48. It's my branding number. So guess how many people I have in that mastermind? 48. 
But with the things that we're doing in terms of sharing ideas and resources is just blown my mind as I've watched how willingly people share to help elevate everybody's success. We do have a coaching mastery program that helps people really develop if they have any affinity for developing their own coaching. A lot of people recognize, people ask me about health questions, parenting or marriage or career or life planning. And we help position them as coaches. That's a coaching mastery program. So most of those things you can find easily at 48days.com. There are links for all those things that I've mentioned. Then we have a a pretty spectacular community as well at 48days.net. There's no cost to be involved, but it's people who are linking arms and sharing ideas and resources. As I mentioned, that's where we've got about 14,000 people in that group right now who are doing that so willingly. And we're watching some amazing Things happen there. That's marvelous. Absolutely marvelous. All right. So it's 48 days, the number 48days.com and then 48days.net? That's correct. Marvelous. Marvelous. I just want to make sure this is, I've got this right for the show notes so that should somebody be streaming this from my site, they'll be able to uh, click through immediately, which I would strongly encourage you guys to do. So... Fabulous. All right. One, the, the way I like to end all my podcasts, Dan, is if you could give business owners just one solid piece of advice to either help their business or, more importantly, help them to live a better life, what would that piece of advice be? Boy, I'm, uh, no problem at all. My advice in that regard, the way you framed it, is recognize it's never too late to have a new beginning. You know, I, I talked to 27-year-olds who say, gee, I majored the wrong thing in college, and they imply that now they just have to kind of coast into the grave. I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> I mean, I, I love to see, you know, 65-year-olds say, wow, now that I've put in a normal career, I'm ready to really do what I want to do for the next 20 years and really make a difference in the world. So it's, it's never too late to have a new beginning. I love that. I love it. And you know what? For everybody listening, I mean, really think about that. Even a new beginning in what you're already doing. I mean, what a great opportunity for those in the after-school activity world, whether you own a cheer gym, a martial arts academy, a gymnastics club. I mean, what a great... You walk in tomorrow, you could have a new beginning as well. That's, that, that, that's a brilliant answer. All right. Dan, thank you so much for joining me today. You know, didn't realize that your manuscript is due tomorrow. So thank you so much. I know how busy your schedule is, and, and that just tops the list. Yeah, that for the next 48 hours, I'm going to be nose to the wall here. Yep, to get that finished. But now, hey, it was a nice break being able to talk to you, Jason. Thanks for having me on as your guest. Oh, the pleasure's been mine. Great tips. All right, folks, that is all the time we've got today. Thanks for tuning into The Real Deal with Jason Silverman. For more information about private coaching or to see if you'd benefit from one of our mastermind groups, visit us over at www.jasonmsilverman.com. I look forward to helping you achieve the success that you truly deserve. Until next time, let me leave you with this. Guys, get out there and be the real deal. Set a goal, make a plan, work towards it and achieve the success that you truly deserve. Now's the time. Get out there and make it happen. Go get them. This has been Jason Silverman, and I hope you have a spectacular week. You've been listening to The Real Deal with Jason Silverman. To access the great resources mentioned in the show and for information on coaching and mastermind group opportunities with Jason, please visit jasonmsilverman.com.